0: This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette.
1: And this is Jarrett Murphy from City Limits. Ben, this week we saw the first two City Council votes on the mayor's citywide rezonings, MIH and ZQA, and they both passed with flying colors.
0: Yeah, um, you know, through the subcommittee and then the land use committee, um, widespread approval, a lot of praise. The council is very proud of the adjustments that they made uh, to the mayor's original plans and the mayor is very proud of getting this through and you know people very excited about the first time and um, they say most progressive in the nation mandatory uh, affordable housing program that will come with with any new development in a rezoned area.
1: And we were talking just last week about how it seemed like the politics on this which which looked fairly delicate for the mayor for a while seemed very much to be turning his way, and that, that was was perhaps even truer than we thought. Uh, it was surprising to me over the weekend how the people who had been pushing hardest against the way MIH was structured very quickly um, kind of came to the mayor's side, um, happy with the concessions they had received. Uh, I was interested by how, how how quickly the end came kind of surprised <laughs> me. Well,
0: I think that as I've said before, and seems to be true, um, that, you know, a lot of people acknowledge that for the mayor to have put these plans forward in the first place, even in their original form, I think he had a strong sense that the speaker of the city council and many other council members were behind them, especially the mandatory inclusionary housing, um, which is, you know, the the main focus of this the two-pronged plan. So, you know, I wasn't that surprised that even though there was all this pushback from the community boards, that things sort of still fell into this arc where the city council made their adjustments and everybody sort of got behind it. And that's where the most outspoken critics sort of, you know, they had a choice to make, right? Do we keep decrying this is not affordable enough or do we say okay we've made we've gotten them to make some concessions and some changes and we'll take this as a win and they decided on that latter option um, what's really interesting is that we saw in the votes though still a couple of dissenting voices um, one council member Jemani Williams who uh, has been called you know sort of the loudest voice on the deeper affordability levels Uh, decided to vote no on the MIH, and then, you know, a couple other council members who voted yes expressed some of their reservations.
1: Yeah, and that was fascinating. The William's argument was that the way it's set up now, where each rezoning will see the local council person and the council as a whole and the city planning commission decide on what kind of an affordability template to layer on, um, and that by, by doing that, city council members could effectively choose to exclude lower-income groups because of the way some of the tiers are structured, which is interesting because we've had a lot of arguments over the past couple of months about the implications of these ideas, mainly about you know what role lower-income uh, tiers would have in them, and this idea of MIH sort of reinforcing some income segregation really hadn't been articulated until the day of the vote.
0: It was really interesting, the fight all along, as you said, has been, we need to Create units for for people making lower incomes. We need to get this affordability level down. And then all of a sudden, when there were tweaks of that nature made, the tweaks also came with these sort of mandated carve outs. That you know, because you're talking about average income levels, that these apartments have to be affordable for. You know, there's a lot of room to sort of play with those numbers or not go that deep. And they they negotiated in some of the options a carve out where 10%, let's say, of, of the units have to go to the lowest income earners. But one of the options doesn't include that carve-out, and that's what Council Member Williams and others were saying. There's a problem here that council members with developers are going to choose that option that doesn't mandate some of the units for the lowest level income earners, and we're going to see sort of this heightened economic uh,
1: segregation. And that's fascinating to me because I think, you know, underlying the whole de Blasio plan is this idea that we want to have community generated planning, that we want communities to have some agency over their future. Um, And that's always come with this tension between citywide goals and the goals and desires of folks who are incumbent in a neighborhood. And so, you know, it's it's generally agreed it's a good thing for communities to be able to charge their own, chart their own future. Uh, but in this case, Williams is hitting on one potential problem, which is a, a community as it exists now could set up its MIH program to exclude the possibility of lower-income people coming in, which is interesting. And, and it is one of the things we'll see play out now as we move beyond MIH and ZQA. They'll be voted on by the council next week. They'll become the zoning law. But that's really just the first of a long set of decisions to determine what this actually looks like. You have the individual rezonings in neighborhoods and then you have decisions like 421A. Right,
0: it's gonna be, you know, the, the full council will obviously vote these through. Um, it'll be very interesting to see how many no votes there are on both MIH and ZQA. There's still some, you know, rumblings about some of the parking stuff with ZQA which led one council member to vote against it in, um, in committee. But, you know, as those go through, then we say, okay. Pretty soon, the council's coming out with its, you know, changes to the East New York plan, which will be led largely by Councilmember Espinal. Um, what is he going to push for in terms of these Mih choices? You know, what where's where's he going to land, and how does that then, you know, move things forward as we get to the other neighborhoods like Flushing and you know parts of the Bronx and East Harlem, and so you know that'll that'll be very interesting and and. I think, as you you said, it was sort of late to the game. Some of this discussion about these these carve outs at the lowest levels of Mih. So, does that line of thinking and argument gain any steam here? You know, I mean, could could it even before the full council votes next week? I wonder if a few people are going, huh? You know, that's kind of interesting. They'll still pass, but I think uh, as we get to the neighborhood level rezonings, that's going to be something really interesting to watch. And then you mentioned 421A. I mean, what do you, what do you what's the latest? You're thinking on that?
1: Uh, well, just you know, when you look at what the HPD and the city did to study. Uh, the marketplace before they began coming out with their ideas in MIH, a lot of it is pre- all of it is predicated on 421A being there.
0: And this, of course, is the state level tax break where, if you agree to build some affordable housing, you get to not pay property taxes for right. a really long time. Which
1: has been wired into affordable housing and housing development in the city now for you know more than a generation. Um, you know, be- through a, a arcane set of uh, of <laughs> votes and decisions at the state level, we now don't have it. And uh, the question has been asked several times in this process, what happens if it doesn't come back? And especially now that some of these MIH options do push lower on affordability, uh, lower in terms of income tiers than the city even studied for its feasibility study, all of which hinged on 421A. I think that's a huge question mark. Uh, and so I think you know, state legislators and the governor are going to have a role in deciding what the outcome of this plan looks like. We've always known that. As you mentioned, city council members will have to choose what kind of MIH program to have in the areas that are rezoned. And then obviously a lot of decision-making will come down to individual developers. You know, if there are two options for MIH in their area, they get to decide which one they pick. And when they pick one, they get to decide what mix of units satisfies the MIH averaging. Um, So a lot of the, you know, I think this vote sets up a framework. And that's how the mayor has always cast it. He's not, you know, deluded us on that. But filling in that framework is going to take uh, several years before we see not only what the rezoning look like, but how the market responds to it.
0: You're getting at something really important here, and this is... I always know, do. Well, <laughs> obviously, there, there's... Um, you know, this is sort of a pet peeve of mine is, you know, people have come because they've been such a hot issue, you know, these two citywide rezoning proposals have been called the mayor's housing plan. And what you just hit on yet again, and what we're talking about here is that there's so many moving parts, and... Some of the mayor's housing plan even includes this 421A tax break that isn't even something the mayor can control. He tried and of course, you know, the governor for his reasons um, certainly didn't let that move forward. Um, so so there's a lot of moving parts here. The, there's so little discussion right now on the state level about 421A. Uh, Assembly Member Keith Wright, uh, you know of Upper Manhattan, has put forward a new uh, proposal about you know some some incentives for affordable housing building, but many people are saying that's not a replacement for 421A. And uh, Assembly Speaker Carl Hasty, who should be De Blasio's biggest ally on this stuff, he sort of said publicly that they're still waiting for the union and the real estate industry to come to an agreement, and clearly that didn't work before the expiration of 421A. So. I don't think we're going to see a 421A deal in time for the state budget at the end of this month, and who knows when we might after that.
1: And, you know, I think the paralysis on that to this point has surprised me, even having watched New York State government for a while. At some point, one assumes that something will be developed to replace 421A or restore it. But as time goes on, there's a practical impact to that delay because, you know, the deals that were in the pipeline that qualified for the tax benefit already, they are being built out. But at some point, we'll hit the point where new ideas, new plans should be coming kind of onto the radar screen. And if this is still in limbo, um, it's going to stall those. And I think the production that the mayor is counting on to make this a denser, more equitable city, in his words, uh, it's not going to arrive, not just because there's no 421A, because people are waiting for it and want to see what kind of deal it looks like before they commit.
0: Right. And at the same time, developers say without 421A, it's more economically feasible for us to build condos. We build, sell, and we're out versus rental housing. And that's where you get, you know, a lot of these sort of problems persisting about middle income and, you know, working class New Yorkers who just can't find an affordable place to live. And we're also talking about, Larger, you know, national and international forces about value, you know, land values and and real estate values in New York City, which the mayor has, you know, again, only a certain amount of control over.
1: Speaking of persistent problems, <laughs> we should mention that no sooner had De Blasio achieved uh, a deal to get his votes on MAH and ZQA than problems began popping up anew on two other housing policy fronts. Uh, the homeless shelters and the city's public housing. Uh, the homeless shelters was a report by the Daily News or separate reports by the Daily News and New York One on reports of, of violence. And what was your take on what they found?
0: Well, you know, what's really interesting, and I should say New York One has done this really good series um, by Courtney Gross, who's a Gotham Gazette alum. Ah, of course. Uh, but, uh, you know, um, I I think it's horrific, the the violence, the drug use, um, domestic violence incidences in these homeless shelters. Um, You know, I think people have become a little desensitized to the horrific nature of the city's homeless shelters. I also think that there are things that have been put into place by the city over the last few months, which we may not yet be seeing the fruits of, but boy, does this problem seem to just be looking deeper and uglier than, you know, we could imagine.
1: I mean, I think one thing that I hope people keep in mind looking at the, the homeless shelter violence story is that, uh, first of all, this is it's a point in time look. We don't know how things were two years ago, five years ago, ten years ago. And a lot of these shelters are cluster site shelters, which are apartment buildings, basically. And that pro- program has been critiqued quite justifiably so, and de Blasio has said he is moving to end it, although not particularly quickly. Um, but these are individual apartments where people who are in under incredible stress are living. Uh, you know, just to be devil's advocate, I'm not sure how surprising it is that there's a tremendous amount of uh, terrible goings on in that in that situation, I mm-hmm. think. And I don't know how much the city could prevent that in people's apartments. I think the question is with the cluster site program is this is supposed to be kind of like supportive housing with some programming to help people. Generally that program has not existed even though we're paying for it. Um, so that's a problem that's been identified and and rolling it back is something de Blasio has talked about although it will be challenging because the numbers just keep going up and that's something that people have to keep in mind is that, you know, every month this becomes a larger and larger problem to administer.
0: And he says, you know, part of the reason he needs to move forward with these affordable housing plans that we were discussing earlier is because they help, in part, you know, create affordable places for people to live, prevent the type of, you know, increases in homelessness that we've seen over the past decades. And, you know, he's arguing, again, that the city in all the growth over the last decades, you know, didn't have a program in place to, to create enough affordable housing and protect enough, and that's where he's also got his um, you know eviction protection units and and efforts really heightened as well. Um, but you know, even the governor is coming in again and saying there's there's major problems with safety and management at the shelters, and you know we're gonna hear any day now the results of the ninety day review of the city's homelessness you know prevention efforts and shelter operations. And I'm expecting that to, you know, be accompanied by the announcement of a new Department of Homeless Services commissioner, um, maybe not right away, but but soon enough, because someone really needs to get a hold of the operations of, of what these shelter sites look like.
1: And lastly, on the NYCHA story, uh, the U.S. Attorney subpoenaing documents related to uh, remediation of lead paint and other repairs in NYCHA buildings. Um, in terms of good news for elected officials, attention from Preet Bharara typically is not. Um, what do you think the the implications of that might be?
0: Well, I think we've seen you know federal investigations of conditions on Rikers and you know other other city you know city operations, and this is going to be um, problematic. Uh, I think that the more that comes out of federal settlements. Um, Actually can be beneficial sometimes to the city because it really mandates attention and funding towards things that have been long ignored, like violence on Rikers or like, you know, issues with the water at NYCHA. So, um, you know, this is probably going to bring some bad attention to the city, but needed and could lead to some positives in terms of, of reform, which is the purpose of all this. Um, You know, I don't I don't think any of this will uh, will really be that detrimental to the mayor, of course, because this is, you know, sort of a longstanding thing that I don't think too many people are going to blame him for.
1: And it goes to the heart of a big question about public housing in New York, which is the problems we see. How much are they the result of declining federal funding, uh, which has been the case for more than a decade? And how much about how the city has managed the funding it does have? Um, and, you know, I think some critics of how the feds have handled public housing might say that Bahara is really investigating the federal government and their inability to fund Niger properly. There are others who say they've often had plenty of money and just haven't spent it right. So I guess we'll have to see what's in those papers.
0: Now, that is a good point. And, and you know, issues around federal involvement in housing is something people bring up a lot, whether it's affordable housing or public housing. And so uh, on all these fronts, uh, we'll be watching and, and we'll keep you posted.